All right. Well, Father, we thank you for the word, and we thank you, Father, Father, for developing that word in us, mm. that we have something we can, we can share, Father God, of, a, of, a, of a, not a hidden thing, but maybe a not fully developed thing. And that, Father, when we get it, it's not that we're going to go looking for devils, but they're going to know we're coming mm. because of a th certain thing called resurrection power. That's what Scripture calls it, resurrection power. So, Father, we rejoice in it right now. I ask you now, Father, in the few moments we have, that this in this series of fortified faith, as we're getting very, very close to the end, that, Father God, that, that you, we would hear your thoughts, your heart, and your intent, that we might take something, we might take wood that's in the fire and take it home to light our houses, Lord, that we would be able to effectively see what you want us to see. I ask you to anoint my tongue to be the pen of a ready writer, that I might write the oracles of God upon the tablets of the hearts of these men and those that are with us by podcast tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, we've been talking about fortified faith, and we've used our scripture of Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2 out of the Message Bible. It says, the fundamental fact of existence is this trust in God, this faith, the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It is our handle on what we cannot see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. Now we know in Hebrews 11 verse 1, can anybody quote it out of another translation? Faith is the evidence. That's right. Substance and evidence. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a substance. It, it, it's a tangibility. Substance. Think we can we can grasp of thing, and so we have to have this faith because God said, without faith, it's impossible to please Him, and and God said that faith without works is dead. So faith is the is the centerpiece, if you will, the glue that holds the entire organism of creation together. Jesus spoke by faith. God created by faith. Everything God. In fact, when we get born again, there's a unique scripture in, um, I believe it's in Galatians, that when the faith you have at your salvation was a piece or a part or a parcel of God's faith, the faith of God, His faith that He put in you. So your faith is not a, 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 a non-existent thing until you get saved. It's actually the eternal faith of God that's put in you at your salvation. Now what you do with it, you either grow it, abuse it, diminish it, ignore it, you know. But that faith was not something that was originated in you. It was given to you. A new creation was originated in you. You became a new creature in Christ Jesus. But it was a bit or partial or a percentage, I, hate to, I can't even think of the right words, uh, of God took from His own faith. That's how intimate it is for God. He gave you a piece of Himself, of His faith. So, to, is that where it is? Have you got it right there? Or can you just quote it from memory? No, I got it right there. Oh, read it, read it. What does it say? I don't mean to be a smart No, 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 please, please, please. It's, uh, this is Ephesians 2.8, and it says, uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Right. Where does the faith come from? It comes from God. Yeah, yeah. There's another one, and I'm just, but I think it's in Galatians where it talks about his faith being imparted. 
to us. But that, that connects it very well. Thank you, Bob. Listen, guys, never offend me. If I start talking and I go off on a tangent, you back it up with a scripture. Because mm. <laughs> I can tell you that most of what I'm talking about, I wouldn't have gone there. But God leads us there. But that shows that we're all working together. Yes, Kyle. No, no, no. Faith was given at salvation. It's the gift of God at salvation. That faith. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, we believed, the old man believed, but he did not have faith to operate on it until he got saved. Okay. 2 8. So. Not no. Didn't you mean Ephesians two eight? I'm just messing with you. That's what you said. <laughs> you know, really, that's true though, because uh, a dead man, a person that doesn't have Christ, he, he doesn't have the capacity to produce that kind of faith. No, no. And uh, I mean, a dead man is dead. Yeah. And it's foolishness to him, even if he wasn't dead. <laughs> right, but he had to have a certain amount of belief, because you have to believe who Jesus was, and confess that He is Lord. So that's why Ecclesiastes says that, that, that God has put eternity in the hearts of all men. Hmm. So no one will stand before God and say, I never believed that there was a God or there was a hereafter because it's in every man. He cannot deny that at that time. Yeah, exactly. So the world, the flesh, culture, they work together to undermine and weaken and ultimately overrun our faith because without faith... We're just, we're just existing. We have no power. That's why we have to be in the Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But as we're talking, we're fortifying our faith. It means we have to build fortifications to it. We have to empower it, but also protect it. The word fortify is where we get the word fortress or a fort. Those things come out of that word. And so how would you fortify something? You'd build it on the high ground. You might have to build a moat. You build a wall that cannot be overcome or be penetrated. So there's many ways to fortify something. Some of the words uh, in the dictionary that define fortify is to strengthen by building military defenses, walls, trenches, to make something or someone stronger, to add mental or moral strength to, to give physical strength, courage, or endurance to. Those are the acts of fortifying, and we need those things. Our secondary scripture is Colossians 2, 6, and 7. It says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Now, that's a different subject for a different day. I question people that have great faith that there's no active gratitude in their lives. Because that scripture tells us there, if there's true faith, you need to be thankful. I know believers that are grumbling all the time. Life's not fair because of my gender, the color of my skin, um, uh, my lack of education or too much education. And, we're, and, and yet I'm, I'm a man or woman in faith. <coughs> Where's the gratitude? Because right there at the end of that verse, it says, you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. The attitude of gratitude fortifies your faith. That's why... Uh, in Ephesians, before anything happens, I mean, in Philippians 4, before anything happens, he says, that make your petitions known with thanksgiving. 
thanking God for a thing he's not done yet because prophetically you believe that it's done so you can thank him for it. And that's how he wants us to operate. So we have shifted a couple weeks ago into principles. And we've looked at the voice principle, venture principle, value, vision, vigilance, and victory. Tonight we're going to be looking at the vision principle. Vision has no value if there's no focus. Have you ever, uh, uh, some of you guys wear glasses, you know, uh, and you wake up, uh, your eyes work, but you can't see anything. <laughs> Why? Because there's no focus. There's no ability to focus. And almost everything that God speaks in the supernatural, there's a natural application to it. Okay? So Hebrews 11 verse 10 says this, For he, talking about Abraham, was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So in the vision principle, there are a couple things, and we'll just say this is number one, that in order for vision principle to, to be fulfilled, you've got to, be keep, you've got to be looking for something. You have to keep looking for something. The operative phrase is, he was looking. He was active. He was, Abraham was not uh, wake up in the morning and, and not see a city and go about his day. That it was a part of his existence was to look for this city whose foundations and whose architect was God. He knew it was out there. He looked, and so the vision principle there has to be a focus to it. Again, if you can't focus, you're not really seeing anything. Hmm. I remember a preacher sharing a, a, an amazing story. I've probably shared it a thousand times on Thursday nights. But you can be driving down a country road. You know you're on a country road. It's hilly, and there's white picket fences, and there's trees and no houses. And so in the moonlight, you see a four-legged creature in a pasture. The moonlight is, is enough to, to see the outline, um, but it can't give you the definition. So you make the assumption, I'm in a country road, this is a pasture, that's a cow. Cows are in the pasture. You come back the next day with 12 noon sun, and it's a horse. There is nothing similar between a horse and a cow whatsoever other than the fact that they have four legs. Their, organ, their internal systems, how they operate, muscle structure, what they produce, everything is completely different. Mm. And sometimes we don't recognize we don't have enough light to focus for the vision principle to come to pass, and we make assumptions in the darkness. Mm. We make assumptions because we have just a little bit of light, but hey, I know my Bible. I know that there's 66 books in it, 39 Old Testament, 27 the New Testament. I can tell you that, that the first book is Matthew, the last book is Revelation. You know, you can tell, but if there's not enough light, you're not really seeing what you're seeing. So your vision becomes deceived. Magicians have developed the art of misdirecting your vision. An illusionist convinces you what you're looking at. The devil does the same thing. He wants to convince you that what you're looking at is this or that. But because you've not asked for the light, magicians don't like to do tiny birthday parties because children aren't deceived. They're too innocent. No, you put it in your back pocket. No, that's not what you did. They, they, they want people that have developed trains of thought that they can manipulate 
into believing something that isn't real. And if you don't have proper vision, Scripture says even the very elect in the end times can be deceived. We had prayer last night, uh, and it was powerful. I invite you guys, you're not doing it Wednesday night, small group, but we pray. We pray powerfully. But there's a, 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 a nationwide leader um, that is now expressing the fact that there is no anointing. That anointing that, that Christ had ended, you know, when all things had been done and accomplished. And yet Scripture clear, very clear says, tell, anoint them with oil. You know, pray the prayer of belief. The anointing is the power to transmit, you know, authority over life and death. And how there are various other ministers, well-named, I think of a guy named Carlton. I won't say his last name since we're on, on this thing. But one of the most powerful black pastors uh, that been, was on TBN. And then one day he said he received a revelation that everybody's saved. Called universalism, and it comes out of the belief that that he died for the whole world, that everybody is saved, and of course, then it. What's the whole purpose of the rest of the Bible? <laughs> you know, what is what is the battle of? What, but and sufficient people that believed in Carlton more than they believed in God went with him. And the the truth is that that Jesus said, "No man comes to the Father but." by me and the fact he died for everybody it was sufficient for every person that will ever walk upon the planet but it's only efficient for someone that calls on the name of the Lord I'm a sinner save me it's efficient but it's sufficient for everyone if it wasn't sufficient for everyone it would be a flawed gospel because he died for everybody but and his blood was sufficient for everybody. His death, burial, was sufficient for everybody. But it's only sufficient or efficient for the person that actually engages with it. Okay? So even in, in these days, ministers of the gospel, their vision is getting defocused. The vision principle is now causing him to just swear up and down that was a cow. But when the lights came on, it was a horse. See, so the first part of the vision principle, it's active. You have to keep seeking. Keep, I mean, keep looking. You have to literally engage every day with your spiritual vision. Hebrews 11 verse 13 says this, All these died in faith without receiving the promise. Having seen them, seen what? Seen what? Now, let me read it again. All these died in faith without receiving the promise, but having seen them. The promises. They saw the promise. You say, well, well, a promise, you can't see it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can if you look with the eyes that God gives you. They saw the promise and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles upon the earth. In other words, that they lived a life and they they were in the proper place, which as we understand it, the highest level of hell was called paradise. Okay? And that's why until Jesus came, 
nobody could get into heaven no matter how much they believed because their sins hadn't been paid for and heaven will never have sin. So Jesus had them in a place. David, Solomon, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, whoever you want to name, they were in a place waiting for Him. They saw the promise, but they didn't live long enough to see Him uh, come and die on the cross. So when he, when he died, the first thing He did was He went, descended into the, into the depths of hell. Why? Two, two things. One, to snatch the keys of death, hell, and the grave out of the devil's hand and make a show of Him openly. Second was to rescue all the believers that died before the promise was fulfilled. Now there's another scripture that tells how many of y'all believe that if you're in heaven, you can't see hell and hell can't see you? I can believe that. Uh, the, 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 the gap is too great. They're, they're, I don't even know if they're on the same plane of existence. But remember when the Lazarus, the, the beggar died, or the rich man died, and he went into, into hell, but he could see Abraham. Hmm. And he said, send Lazarus to dip his, thing, just dip his finger in the water, put a drop upon my tongue to cool it. You know? and, and Abraham, sorry, can't do it. Because yeah, that, that's the, 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 the beggar Lazarus was what we, that's where you hear the term, in the bosom of Abraham. Okay? But there was sufficient visual evidence to say that the highest parts of hell was visible from the lowest parts. Because this guy was bad news. And he said, well, okay, if you can't do that, send me back. And I'll tell everybody how real hell is. Hmm. Remember Abraham's response? They didn't believe the prophets. They didn't believe Moses. Why are they going to believe you? Hmm. That, what is that telling us? No second chance. Once the death occurs, you're either going up or you're going down. There's no in-between. But Jesus, when He was on the cross, and He said to the, to the thief who believed, wasn't that the most um, unorthodox and ineffective sinner's prayer? Remember me. Mm. Well, He didn't confess His sins. <laughs> he didn't acknowledge that He was God. <laughs> he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't repent. He said, that's right. He said, remember me. And Jesus said, before this day is through, you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't go to heaven. Jesus. He only went to paradise because He hadn't been resurrected yet. So He went and got all of His believers that believed for thousands of years. He died. He gathered with them. And on the third day when He resurrected, they were they were slingshotted. I don't know another way to say it. But he, he got them on the end of his bow and just launched them into heaven. Because now when he was resurrected, the blood was justified. Him as being Lord was justified through the power of the resurrection. Now he had the right to take all the believers and pay for all of their sins on Calvary. Now it was resurrection time. They all went into heaven. See, they all went into heaven. But see, they kept looking. Lance, you look like you're going to go ahead. Didn't they say that he preached to them? Yes. yes. So, I never really thought of it that way about the, the thief on the cross. So, it seems to me, and I may be interpreting this wrong, but he gave everybody down there the opportunity. So, he preached to them. He said, you know, maybe they said the sinner's prayer down there. He preached yes, to them? I believe in you. 
Yeah. Let's go. Had you ever considered that because the Bible never gives a description of who, what he looks like, that when he went down to them, he had to tell his story to them? Because yeah. mm. he was the one waited for, right. but they didn't have divine interpretation of who he was. They didn't know it would be a man named Jesus. Okay? Now, if they really understood the prophetic utterances of the Old Testament and Joshua, Yeshua, Joshua and Jesus is the exact same name. It's Yeshua in the Hebrew. As a deliverer, they might have caught the, caught the name, you know, but he had to introduce himself to him. Can you imagine? He says, I'm the one you were waiting for. I hope you didn't leave your bags unpacked. Put your stuff together. We're leaving in a couple of days, and you'll be with me forever in heaven. But that's very good uh, uh, interpretation, Lance, that, that he may have had to tell them who he was. They didn't instantly have product knowledge. They were believing for him. He had to tell them, I'm it. Had, uh, can you imagine him saying, well, is there anybody else coming? <laughs> no, I'm sure they were. Let's go. Let's go. Can you imagine they waited all that time in hell or in paradise, and can you imagine how they, when he said, no, we, you got to wait a couple more days. <laughs> that would have been horrible. Like, you know, wait your whole life to go to Disneyland and say it won't open for, for two more days. You know, you just stand there at the gates. But not, I mean, the old Disneyland. Don't want to get political with anybody. What? Under construction. Under construction. So the first thing in the vision principle is you got to keep looking. You have to exercise your sight. You have to be looking for something. You need to be looking down. Why? Because looking is a future tense reference. You don't keep looking at the past. If you do, you'll have a head-on collision. But the looking is that what is God doing? Like uh, an example with Pastor Kerry. He is looking for his wife's healing. Uh, Olin is looking for his son's healing knowing that it's already done in the past by Jesus stripes we were healed but the evidentiary power of God since they're sick today means that although they were healed here they're looking forward to see the manifestation of it so you got to keep looking you have to keep seeking it's the second principle of the vision principle second part of vision Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2 therefore if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. God wants us looking towards heaven, not to become no value here, but to be able to operate and navigate and see what you need to do here, but always eyes fixed on him, on what he's doing, looking up, looking at what he's trying to do, keeping your eye, mind on these things. The third aspect or, or subset of the vision principle is you have to keep acting on it. Keep acting on it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things seen. That whole entire phrase is you have to keep looking, keep hoping, keep believing. You must make the, the act of faith is the, the evidence by seeking it, looking for it, and then acting on it. See, I'm acting on faith when I'm believing by faith. When I'm believing by faith, I will see faith in operation. Yes. So I've got to keep 
acting on that faith. You have not because you ask not. That, oh, you ask amiss. Well, if your vision is clear and you keep, you keep looking for it, then you come to a place where you act on it. Faith without works is dead. We've had it. There has to be an action, a corresponding action on your behalf that, that coincides with your belief system of vision because the action is what's going to enable the vision to come to pass. A perfect example, I don't fully understand the fact that if I do this, I've just guaranteed myself at least another two minutes of life. Because the moment I did that, my blood went near the very thin walls of my lungs and it appropriated the oxygen, it's called oxygenation, out through the thin membrane of my lungs. The blood magnetized, if you will, oxygen, pulls it into the bloodstream. The, then it takes it to wherever in my body, brain first, that requires the oxygen for it to operate in. And then the entire trip of my blood comes to the point where it gives up the very last bit of oxygen. Now, you guys remember in school, unoxygenated blood is blue. Red blood has oxygen in it. The evidence is when you look at your veins. The veins that are visible are blood that is returning. The veins that are red are blood that has left the heart. So when you pull your wrist up and you see the blue veins on your wrist, look at everybody, unless you're kind of really overly muscular like Baptist Bob, you see blue veins. Those blue veins tell you that the blood has come through the internal protected capillaries to get to the nerves to get to the muscle tissue, to get to the ligaments, to ensure that your fingers are properly oxygenated. And once it's done sending the blood to everything in the hand, you see the return lines there. See, when somebody cuts their wrist and they bleed to death, the blood they're bleeding is the blood that's returning. It, the blood will still keep going to do its job, but on its return, it reaches that opening and you bleed out. And you say, well, that's always red blood. Yeah, because the moment the blood is exposed to the oxidation in the air, it instantly turns red again. Some of you look like you didn't go to biology class. Okay, all right. Or if it's that long, they, had, they talked about that? Huh? Test it out. Yeah, test it out. Huh? We don't have any frogs. We don't have any what? Frogs. Yeah, we can't do it on frogs. But that's the evidence of blood that's done its job. Wherever there's a blue vein, it's now returning to the heart to pick up the next load of oxygen and take it. So literally, the act of staying alive is the blood believes there'll be oxygen available when it gets near the lung. If it didn't believe it, I'm just using human reasoning. Why go all that distance if it's not going to be there? Why try so hard if it's not going to happen? Why put myself out and get embarrassed if, if there's not going to be anything there? Our bodies would cease to operate if our bodies had any type of free will whatsoever. Isn't that an amazing principle? We're free moral agents. We determine our heaven or hell, but our body operates with the the creator's intentional design and it doesn't ask our permission to function. Hmm. 
and it doesn't have an opinion of its own. Now we can talk about sickness, disease, how those things come in, but then we have to have faith to see ourselves healed. See, part of what God wants in the vision principle is for us to see things that are not as though they are. He wants us to visualize our healing. He wants us to visualize our marriage being repaired. He wants us to visualize our debts being retired. He wants us to visualize what heaven looks like. He gives us this incredible imagination. And when we act on that, the faith that he's given as an inert thing that's looking for an activator then functions and it becomes evidence. Then it becomes proof. But it's inert till there's an action on it. Hoped for. Hope for is an action. When I hope for something, I'm actively hoping for it. What is hope? A preferred expectation. So part of vision is we've got to keep acting. And when, when I'm not acting like going to win the Academy Award, you know, uh, or, or it's, it's the, the act of action. Ooh, I just gave a new definition there. The act of action. The last one is we have to keep pursuing. We have to keep looking. We have to keep seeking. Can anybody, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, give me a difference between looking and seeking? Huh? Okay. What it said, keep looking also. Okay. All right. What do you think, John? One's a verb and one's a noun. Look and looking okay. are the same word, but seeking is a verb. Well, an, look may be a noun, but looking is an adverb, which is an action attached to a noun. Looking is the act of looking. Okay. So, but I'm not getting into semantics, but. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. You have a purpose, you're seeking something for a purpose. Right, right. Is it possible that in order to seek, you have to see it first? True. So, no? You just have to know it's there somewhere. Okay, okay. Is that how you clean up the garage in the dark? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I know it. I know it. Absolutely. There's, uh, again, I'm not giving you a hard, fast, I'm trying to expand your... My job as a, when we're at Bible study, is to provoke your imagination, to provoke your spirit man to consider things that are, have been in Scripture that maybe you've not applied, or provoke an atrophied part of your spirit life to become fully engaged again. Preaching is the effectual communication of a divine truth with a view to persuasion. So something's preached. I'm telling you a divine truth, but I'm trying to motivate you to operate with it, a view towards persuading, okay? So it's very good. Looking, you have to look. Well, once you see what you're looking for, you got to seek it, okay? And once you seek it, you have to do something with it, okay? These are all part of the vision principle. Then the last one is you have to keep pursuing. Keep pursuing. 2 Corinthians 4.18, one of my favorite scriptures. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. 
For the things that are seen are temporal, which means subject to change, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, God would never ask any person on the planet to do something that He hadn't equipped them to do. So when God says, stop looking at what you can see and look at what you can't, He's not setting you up to fail. He's trying to get you to a place where your spirit man has control of your existence, not the natural operation of the organs or the natural world. You can see. You can focus. You can look. He says, look past it. Look past it. Look past it. Pursuing is following something or someone with the intention of catching them. Lance, tell us how you pursued Karen. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So. <laughs> right, Cody? An act of passion, huh? Yes, yes. I mean, and that was a principle that you had always taught. You don't go without having something. And anything in life, wherever you go, whoever you meet, you need to bring them something. Yes. Now, I'm not going to bring you flowers, John, and I'm not going to bring you chocolates. But if I pursue you as a man pursues another man in the kingdom, I want to bring something of the eternal nature that you don't have. See? That's part of wooing. See? And when a, when a man is wooing a wife... Is that a real word? What? Wooing. Wooing, yeah, yeah. To woo. To woo. woo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some Japanese thing. That just sounds like a Japanese word. Done. I woo you. I woo to woo you. I woo You know, Vivian, Vivian is 25% Japanese. Uh, on her grandma's side, her husband was 20, was, she was 100% Japanese and her husband was 100% Greek. What an odd combination. We don't know what the, the father's side was. But so early, she would say things that just, you know, you just, you just like you roll your eyes and hope you don't get caught. You know, oh, woo, yeah. She would say, you know, I've, I'm about, she's about eight years old. I, I'm very proficient in Mandarin now. I said, well, say something in Mandarin. I'd rather not say anything. I'm still studying. You know, she would do all these things. And so the way I could get to her was we'd be driving and, and I would go samurai. <laughs> and she'd go, you're so racist. You're just a racist for doing that. And, and I said, how do you know not speaking in tongues? <laughs> Maybe there's a samurai tongue in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> But every time, you just set her off being racist. So you can imagine it was every time we got in the car until I just decided not to do it anymore. So how do you, you, you don't. <laughs> Knucklehead, you don't. <laughs> when, when you pull up and with your flowers and all of a sudden every light in the house goes off, there's a good chance they don't want you pursuing them. But they would like you to leave the flowers on the door. But um, now, anything that is of value, God says, I want you to pursue it. Pursue joy. He says to pursue love, to actively engage and pursue peace. We're to pursue those things, to go at. And what he's saying is whenever you have to pursue something, you have to acknowledge that the reason you're pursuing is because you don't have it yet. One of the great problems in early marriage 
is the husband does such a great job of pursuing <laughs> that after he catches her, everything changes. You used to talk to me. You used to, to bring, me bring me flowers and poetry and, and, and chocolates. And then we, had, you, then we have to explain from the guy's perspective, you don't romance the catch. <laughs> you romance to catch it, <laughs> which is not a biblical principle. No, you got to keep up the romance. But, but the vision principle depends on things. There has to be sufficient light. You can't pursue anything in the dark. You, I mean, you, you, can't, you don't have vision in the dark. You can't see in the dark. You can only hypothesize. You can only speculate. You can only guess. You can only assume in the dark. And that's why Jesus said, stay in the light. Vision requires light. Think of all the words that we use that are vision-oriented, like perceive or preview. Behold is a good one. You want to see something you have not seen, but you can't see anything in the dark. That's why Jesus said, work when it's daylight, because darkness is coming. He separated the light from the darkness. Yet God says he's the only one that can see as clearly in the dark as he can in the light. But he said, stay in the light. So if I want to be successful in the vision principle, if I want to operate in the principle of vision when it comes to fortifying my faith, I need to be able to keep looking. I need to be keep seeking, keep acting, keep pursuing. But I need sufficient light source in order to sometimes see the distance from what I'm trying to catch. I'm pursuing something. Light gives me a reference of how far we have to go. Light gives me the direction I need to go. Light lets me see that if what I'm pursuing is moving, that I can calculate its speed to accelerate my speed. It's good stuff, huh? And then, once I've done that all, God says, don't get up, give up till you get it. Keep being, uh, keep pursuing it, keep looking for it. In order for my faith to be fortified, I have to recognize that faith is literally a vision principle in its own. The evidence of things not seen. Okay? I, God says that you haven't got it because you can't see it, but if you operate in the vision principle, I'll let you see it so you can attain it. He wants us to be able to see it. So light is absolutely essential. Now, granted, you could say that we've been given a gift by God that when light has been off for a while, you know, when you go to bed, the room is black. But if you get up at three o'clock in the morning, you can at least pick out some stuff because your eye adjusts to the, 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 your, the iris expands. It requires less light to hit the back of the eye in order for the brain to interpret what it's looking at. So you see better after the, the light has been removed for a while, see? But God's not talking about uh, rummaging around in the dark with a little bit of light, he's saying, turn the light on. Mm. So the vision principle, fortify, can you imagine anybody trying to fortify a castle in pitch black? Mm. No, no. Anybody try to read the Bible with pitch black? There's things you can do without light. You can pray. You can eat, just don't use a sharp fork. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you, can, you can do a lot of things without light. Yeah. 
But when it comes to your faith, you must have an ever a non an ever existing non extinguishable source of light. And Jesus said, "I am the light of the world." So if I keep Him, I can fortify my faith. I can operate with a vision principles that lets me see things that aren't seen in the natural, that are seen in the eternal. I can call things that are not as though they are because I can see them by faith. One of the most powerful phrases God ever taught me that I, one of these days I'll hear somebody else say it and I say, well, I must have got it from them, but I'm assuming they're going to get it from me. It's this principle. I have to say what I see so I can see what I said. I have to say what I see in, by faith, in my imagination, in my hope, in my desire, in my function. I have to say, well, I have to, it does no good just to see it. I have to say it. There was no light till somebody said light. Every created thing in all of existence had to be spoken first. The, the best description of the triune God, God thinks it, Jesus speaks it, and the Holy Spirit makes it come to pass. Perfectly woven together. A triple braided cord is not easily what? Broken. Broken. Strong. So you have to say something. So saying, and faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, means you got to hear the Word of God. I can read it. Yes, you can. But do you know when you're reading the Word of God, your mind is saying what you're reading on the inside? about that for just a moment. When you read a book, you read an instruction manual, you read your Bible, the words come into your brain and your brain says those words, not out loud, says them internally. But have you, I don't know if you've noticed, but one of the, of a teaching uh, to somebody who has a learning disability is to say out loud what you're reading. Read it out loud. Because they understand a faith principle, even though it's in the, it's not in, it's a science principle, that when you hear what you are saying, it becomes more real than what you are seeing. So the reinforcement is to see it and to say it makes it a reality. See? And so when we say what we see, God lets us see what we said. That's the faith principle. That's, that's a vision principle. And God says a lot of us don't have anything because we think about it. We don't say anything about it. Or what I'm learning the hard way is to say the wrong thing. I tend to sarcasm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sarcasm yeah. is one of my downfalls. I'm thinking on being funny and I'm actually speaking negative things that come to pass. Right, right, speaking. right, right. Yeah, and so you can, well, watch this. If I am sarcastic, I am painting a reality that isn't exactly what everybody else sees. I'm using my words to create a reality that happens to be uh, a negative. Do you know that the ancient Greeks, the, the, the description of sarcasm? Sarcasm is, what did you say, Cody? ripping meat from the bone. Mm. Sarcasm tears. It destroys. It kills something. It's like ripping, leaving meat off of the bone. Okay? And because we live in a fallen world, 
our words by nature are almost always negative first. We live, we're very good at being negative, judgmental, critical, caustic, sarcastic, you know. And so we have to train ourselves to not be that way. But our nature is that way. So, uh-oh, 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 vision principle. If, no, I was just using it for reference. Well, Michael's going, what's going on? If I am, by my words, painting a negative picture, but with my spirit, I'm looking, seeking, asking, pursuing something positive, I'm creating a double vision. And what does your Bible say about double vision? In how many ways? Unstable in all their ways. So you could literally be looking with spiritual eyes, forming the vision principle to fortify your faith, and then out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks caustically or sarcastically, creating a separate vision that's try that overlays, and now you've got double vision. And you can't understand why you don't have progress. You don't have movement. You aren't, you aren't able to go forward because the words out of your mouth are killing the vision and creating something else that is not a vision. Wow. Thank you, Lance. That's true. I mean, I, 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 I wasn't in my notes, but when you just said that, it just arced inside of me that, that many of us are not where we need to be. We saw where we wanted to go, but our words took us a different way. And, you know, the, the, one of the definitions of the word or, or um, imperative definitions of the, of, the, of the Holy Spirit is he's the paraclete, not parakeet, the paraclete. Para is where we get the word when things are in parallel. A railroad only operates if the tracks are exactly in parallel the entire journey. If one track deviates at all, you're going to have a train wreck. Okay, so the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, keeps us in parallel motion with God. And when we lean on the paraclete, he makes sure we're the exact distance where we need to be at all times. Not distance as in separation, but running side by side, side by side. But because of the way a train works, if you're sitting in a train car, and this is where the prophetic comes in, I don't care how far the train has to go. All you can see is to the back of the bulkhead of the car you're in or the, the front, the, the forward head of the train car you're in. If you're 10 rows back, you can see 10 rows. You're going, you're moving. You can look out side to side and see movement, see progress, but you can't see any further ahead unless something happens. The train track turns and for just a moment, you can see where the car, where, where the engine is, you're going to get there. That's almost how the prophetic operates. When the train goes this way, I can see the engine. And I know that I know that I know that I don't know how long it's going to take, 30 seconds, 10 seconds, the car I'm in is going to get to that exact place. Because I'm in parallel with the engine that's pulling us in that direction. And sometimes in this life, what we're doing is we're talking about the fact that we can't see any further. And God says, you're not allowing me to 
create movement so you can see further down the road because I want you to see what you cannot see. I want you to say what you cannot see. I want you to have vision and I want you to articulate that vision because faith is both a vision word and a, and a, a hearing word. We've understood that, right? That we got to see what we believe for, but we have to hear it also. So God says, I'll keep the light on. Don't go hide in the closet. Don't go play in the basement. Don't go to the places in life you shouldn't be that are dark and steamy. Don't go to those places because when you go, you can't see. And what you've done, once you have cut off your vision, you become susceptible to what the enemy can see. The path for your destruction for your damage. So God says that I've given you a vision principle and everything in the Bible, if you will, has a vision connected to it. Everything has a vision. It's a preceding book. It's a book of going forward. So it wants you to look forward. That's where your hope is. Again, not to relitigate. If I have an injury and I'm believing for my healing, God says, I want you to not only see yourself healed, I want you to say yourself healed. I believe many people delay their healing because they say things like this. Nothing's changed. That's reality. Nothing's changed. It still hurts. It's still infected. All you're doing is describing a temporal reality and making it permanent. What can I say, Pastor, without being in denial? Listen, I know right now the evidence, temporary evidence says that I'm in pain and, I, and, and, and I'm struggling with an infection. But I know my healing is going to be in front of me. So I'm going to take this sick thing to the healing place. When I get there, it'll be healed. The Bible never, ever, ever said, call things that are as though they are not. Now, playing our words, what, what, what's the one we always hear? Call things that are not as though they are. But he never said, call things that are as though they are not. Don't, you, you'd be crazy. No, 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 no. That, I'm not bleeding to death. I, re, I refuse to believe that, that the arteries cut on my leg. I refuse it. You're dummy because you're calling something that is as if it isn't and you're not getting the attention you need because it is. Okay, let's even say, wham! I did not just get into a car wreck. I've refused to believe I have been in a car wreck. My car is whole. My car does not need to be towed. This is a gift from God. My car is absolutely, don't talk to me. My car is able to function with the perfection of God's original intent. And they said, no, man, you got antifreeze all over the ground. Your bumper, your bumper sticking out, I mean, your front bumper sticking out the exhaust pipe right now. All right. No, 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 no. You're, 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 you're tampering with my faith. You're trying to lead me into unbelief. You're trying to, trying to get me to take my eyes off the prize. No, God said, that's being stupid. If it is, it is. But if you want something to change from what it is into what it isn't, you can't do it by words. You have to do it by action. But then when you begin the action, then you can call things that are not as though they are. Let's just use the car. The car got in an accident. There's no good to say I didn't get into an accident. But 
it does great thing to say that I see my car being fully repaired, functioning the way it did, so I'm calling things that are not as though they are. But in order to do that, I have to see the car healed, rebuilt, whatever. I have to see that, see? If I look at the problem and say it doesn't exist, then I've self-deceived myself. There's a lot of Christians that live in self-deception because they refuse to, refuse to acknowledge the problem. God says acknowledge the problem so I can do something about it. Yeah. Last thought on that with the vision principle, that the very same conference that I told you where I met the, uh, the, the pastors from Monterey, um, I had a word of knowledge over the missionaries. And, and I said, there's somebody here with pancreatic cancer. And God wants to heal you right now. If you come to Family Miracle Night, so you want, God, I don't miss it. I mean, the Holy Spirit threw me. He'll actually tell me how many people have that condition. It's great to watch them slow up and then, well, there's two more, and then they'll eventually start coming forward, you know. So I said, there's somebody here with pancreatic cancer. Well, I'm not, I'm, I don't worry about what people think about me. Nobody came forward. I didn't worry that now they're not going to pay attention to any prophetic words because I missed it on this thing. I didn't care. I even said this. God is giving you a window now. Don't come up later because the window may be gone. <coughs> he came up later. And this is what he said. That what I have, that's what they've diagnosed. But if I tell you that, I'll make it a reality. And I said, sir, I'm, I'm just going to be very honest with you. That's stupid. If it's diagnosed and you don't want it, just by saying, not saying the word doesn't mean it's going to go away. His belief system, if he acknowledged it, he made it his reality. See, that's such a warped theology. You know, and, and I'm afraid if I, yeah, if I say it, then I'll have it. Even though the doctor told me I have it, even though, you know, I'm, I'm on all kinds of medication for it, I refuse to say it because if I say it, then I'm embracing it. Oh, no, 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 no. you got to call things that are not as though they are. So come for your healing because the healer wants to heal your pancreatic cancer. <laughs> but if you don't acknowledge it, what can he do for you? If Jesus was hovering over your body and he came into your hospital room, what do you want me to heal you from? Well, you know, the thing, what thing? Well, you know what it is. You're God. <laughs> and God says, I know, but if we're going to participate in it, you've got to speak it so that I can capture it and heal it for you. I mean, not being argumentative, no. but didn't Jesus say she's not dead, she's only sleeping? And everybody knew she was dead. <laughs> and they laughed at her. Yeah. <coughs> she got up and stuff, picked up. You're right. From a, <coughs> from a faith-building perspective. In other words, that event was still happening before his time of being revealed. And so there's a part of what he was saying that would allow the miracle to take place because technically in Jewish language, sleeping and is sleeping or sleeping is dead. They're there too. He has fallen asleep with the fathers. You hear that word. So sleeping is sleeping or sleeping is dead. So in a sense, 
what he was doing was saying she's only sleeping and he was going to raise her from the dead. Scripture tells us she was dead, but it wasn't his time to be revealed. How many times did he heal somebody who said, don't tell anybody? Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Because there was a specific way that God was going to reveal his son on the stage. But what was happening, because he was the potent God that couldn't, that healing couldn't, and death couldn't remain in his presence, there was a whole bunch of healings that Jesus had said, no, but don't tell anybody. It's not my time yet. You know, remember with Mary, when they ran out of uh, wine at the wedding feast in Canaan. And Mary knows exactly who her boy is. And no doubt. She knows. She's been visited by angels. You know, she knows everything about him, but she still raised him as her child and protected him and kept him. I believe that that part of what Mary and Joseph's responsibility was to hide him from Satan. That's one of the reasons they went to Egypt, because Satan was killing all the little boys. So he knew her. And so they run out of wine. And this is all, think about it. You've got to read the nuance into here. Uh, Jesus, they run out of wine. Did she ask him to make new wine? Did she ask him that she made a statement? And then he says, woman. Now, if I call my wife woman, a frying pan's coming. All right. But woman back there was in a term of endearment. In a sense, he was saying, mommy. And he said, it is not my time yet. Okay. All she said, listen, you have to read, look, at, look at what's going on. All she said was, they've run out of wine. He says, Mom, it's not my time yet. The very next thing she says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. So there was a communication. There must have been a smile. Jesus was not this stoic slaughter the, 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 the heathen God. He wasn't crying over Jerusalem all the time. He was a good guy to be around. He was life and life more abundantly. So can you imagine... He knew exactly what she meant. And at the same time, how could he resist? Because what faith she had in her son that he could actually do something about it without even asking for it. And he says, woman, and I can just see him. Look at it go. It's not my time yet. And she goes, whatever he tells you to do, <laughs> it's going to be big and it's going to be good. And yet if you just look at the dialogue, there's just like, what? What's going on here? He didn't, she didn't ask him to make new wine and he didn't tell her she, he wouldn't. So there's things in Scripture that by faith we have to fill the story in. The raised eyebrow, the, the shrug, the smile, whatever it was. And so that great thing happened. But what she was doing was calling that something wasn't as if it was. They're out of wine. She activated faith and Jesus cannot resist faith. Greater faith have I seen in no one in Israel. He spoke that two times. One was to the centurion. And he can't help it but act on it. And so in this, uh, let me, this is beautiful ending to it. If she thought her son might be special, thought he might be a little bit more than the average person, her request of him would have been on that level and nothing would have happened. They don't have any more wine left. Have you got any money? They haven't got anything, any, any, any wine left. Do you know anybody in your travels 
you know, you've been camping out a lot where we can go get some real quick, see. But because her faith was in the knowledge that her biological child was God himself, and she knew because an angel spoke something to her, remember Gabriel? What did he say? What is impossible with men is possible with God. In that moment, she wasn't addressing him as son. She was addressing him as the one that can do the impossible. And she didn't even have to ask for it. How much more would our lives be if we operated by the vision principle and knew who we were looking for, knew what we were looking for him to do, and kept seeking it and then acted upon it and with relentless pursuit, not giving up on it. Mm. Nothing shall be impossible to our faith. We just fortified it. Amen. Amen. Did we learn something tonight? Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. Good stuff. Well, Father, we come to you right now. And Father, I ask you that you would take, what a, what a great night because there was conversation with it too. That Father, what we learned, would you anchor it into our spirit right now as something unshakable, unable to be watered down, firm, that we might from this day forward, Father God, operate with the vision principle to fortify our faith. And with fortified faith, we can believe for anything. And it shall be done unto us. Father, we live in a season where we just have to be honest. It's 30 years ago, 40 years, 50, it doesn't matter. There was a time where, where faith was just going to church. Thanking God for a meal. Praying for maybe a better life. Now it's absolute warfare. Mm. Evil has shown its head. It is not apologetic for it. And it seeks to kill and to steal and to destroy. And it's taken cities and nations. Mm. And you're asking us to be, <laughs> I just thought of Mike Reeser, asking us to be the last line, the final defense. And if you're in us, greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. And so, Father, would you let these words fortify? Would you put armor plating on our faith to the point that, Father God, our faith is, is unsinkable? No matter how hard it's hit, it gets up and runs to the battle one more time. That it can see the victory in the middle of the battle, even if it looks like defeat is imminent. It can see the healing when the doctor gives the death notice. It can see the brand new home when the eviction notice is stamped to the outside of the apartment door. It can see kids playing in the backyard when the word of a barren womb has been given. That's fortified faith. And we need it, Lord. Our heart to you right now, fortify us. Strengthen us. Armor plate us. And then, Father God, be with us as we step out into the battlefield. And we win it for you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap today. Amen. Hallelujah.